Welcome everybody back. It's been a while since I've been here. We are, thank you very much Mike for finishing up Galatians last week. And we are starting out with Ephesians tonight. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you Lord for uh, the entrance of your word brings life. We thank you, Father, that as we read it, as we seek you, as we search out the scriptures, as we search out truth, that you, the Holy Spirit, will lead us into all truth. Thank you, Father, for revelation knowledge. Thank you for understanding. Thank you, Father, for truth being uh, revealed to us. And I thank you, Lord, for everybody here, those that can't make it, those that are listening by audio because I know that there are people listening by audio. So I thank you, Lord, for for everybody who's a part of this and I thank you, Lord, everybody gets questions answered and and paths illuminated. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we are into Ephesians and um, Ephesians is a great book. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorites, so it's just a favorite of so many people. Um, it is different than many of, the, of Paul's other writings um, because it's not writing to solve a problem. Like First and Second Corinthians was all about solving a problem, and Galatians was all about solving a problem uh, within the church. Uh, Romans did a little bit of that, but it was mo- you know, a lot of doctrine, a lot of good doctrine in, in Romans. But um, Ephesians is just, it's, it's Paul um, writing about doctrine, writing about truth, and explaining truth to a deeper level, and he truly does. This, this is a, it's an amazing book with a lot of meat. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be hard to get through uh, a chapter a week, and so we may not. It just may be one of those things where we we get through what we get through when we get through it, and we'll we'll stop when we stop. But. This uh, book here has a neat little paragraph about it. Sure, want to read it? Wilson's complete book of Bible maps and charts. Except for the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians is the most carefully written presentation of Christian theology in the New Testament. Paul wrote this epistle to make Christians more aware of the riches they have in Christ and to motivate them to draw upon these spiritual resources in daily living. Yes. And that that is the consensus across the board. Uh, There's a website that I use. It's called EnduringWord.org, I think it is. And the person uh, takes different um, concordances, not concordances, takes... Concordances takes different concordances that were written by different people and kind of uh, brings it all into one. So you can you can read what Spurgeon says about this verse, and you can read what what uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Luther says about this verse, and so on. And he'll just list them out of the different things. And so what I do is I I go through it and just pull out some of the the, the phraseologies of what they say about the different verses, highlight verses that I want to talk about. And every one of them uh, was talking about the fact that that uh, Ephesians talks about the great themes and doctrines of, of Christianity, and it's just it's just it was the it's the favorite book of many theologians. 
because it is so deep and it's just a they call it the prince of of uh, of uh, gospels because of the uh, or epistles the prince of epistles um, and the queen of epistles some people call it the queen of it just because of the the they love it so much but it basically uh, it sums up in a large measure the leading themes of all of his writings. So everything that Paul wrote to all the different churches and so on and so forth, it sums up all of those. It, it talks about all of those same uh, major themes. But it also does more than that. Uh, this theologian named Bruce, his last name was Bruce, says it does more than that. It carries the thought of the earlier writings uh, forward to the new stage. So it's saying, well, here's, here's what truth is, and here's what it is in your situation, but now... Here's what it means to Christianity. And he really takes it to that level. He doesn't just say, Here, this is what it means to you, Corinthians. This is what it means to you, Galatians. No, he says, this is what it means to the body of Christ. And he, he takes, the, takes these uh, themes and, and uh, doctrines to that next level. So if the letter of Romans focuses on God's work in the individual Christian, Ephesian includes the great things themes of God's work in the church, the whole community of believers. He, it, and that's one of the main themes of Ephesians is that it's the body of Christ. Not only, he, you know, this is how, how the kingdom works for the body of Christ, but here is how the individual Christian should operate within the body of Christ. And the different gifts of the kingdom work within the body of Christ. So it's, it's, a, it's a big picture of, of who we are. And, and that's what, what, the first time I ever heard it, had anybody explain it to me, was Ephesians is about finding out who you are in Christ. That's still a narrow view of it. It's still bigger than that. But that's a great way to explain it, is, is that it, it's, a, it's a definition even of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian in the body of Christ? What does it mean to be uh, a member of the body of Christ in the kingdom of God? And it's a it's a big picture of that whole that whole theme. Ephesians has many similarities with the the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, and many people believe that it was written at the same time. That it was that Colossians was written first, and then Ephesians was written second. And Colossians did deal when he wrote to the Colossians, he was writing about some issues, not many, but but a few. So he's dealing with, with those issues, but he talks on a, on a grander scale about these bigger themes. And we'll talk about these bigger themes, obviously, as we go through it. But he, he talks about them in Colossians, but in Ephesians, he expounds on them. He really just opens them up and says, this is what, this is what uh, we can look forward to. It, it isn't about, oh, you stupid Galatians. You know, it's really about... Oh, you amazing Christians! Look what we get. Look what the deal is that we get, and it's and, and it's just amazing uh, the the revelation that he shares through it. But they believe that both of them. Let's say it this way: there there's all kinds of dispute, as with anything, you know, that happened over two thousand years ago. Everybody has an opinion, and many people, many many theologians believe that it was Paul. Paul wrote Ephesians. Why do they believe that? Well, the first first sentence says, "I Paul," but other theologians believe that people put it in, that they affixed Paul's name to it to add credibility. 
They also, some people don't believe, and we'll get into that in just a little bit here when we get into the individual verses, some people don't believe it was written to the Ephesians specifically because some of the, the earliest copies of it, and that's what would happen. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to whomever he wrote it to, whether it be the Galatians, the Corinthians, whomever it was. And then people took that letter and copied it. They were scribes. They, they, that was their job, as they copied Scripture. And um, amazingly, they wanted, you know, these were believers who did it. It wasn't the unsaved who did it, because it was, there was no money in it. They did it because they were, they were trying to get the message out to all the different churches, and, and, and they couldn't do it. We didn't have printing presses. We didn't have uh, emails. We didn't have a mass email where, you know, okay, we write it once and you send it out to everybody. So what would happen is they would get a letter, they would then start copying it. And they would copy it. They took great pride in copying it jot for tittle. You know, I mean, it was, and what I mean is all the little, you know, all the little uh, points. And I mean, they, they were very careful on how they copied it. Um, as with anything, though, the longer it was from the original, things got changed slightly. And not things in context, but things in, in uh, uh specifics. One of them is the earliest trustworthy copies does not have, and I'll talk about it later, but we might as well look at it now, verse 1, where it says, um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus by the will of God, the earliest transcripts does not have that. The earliest transcripts does also has a blank in the rest of that verse where it says, to the saints who are in and in the earliest translations, there's a blank. So literally, they could fill in whatever city they were sending it to. They whatever it was, and they call it a circular uh, manuscript, a circular letter, which means it was supposed to make the circuit. You know, um, I write a letter to the to the Church of RVCC. Well, that also that could mean Church of RVCC at Lake Elmo. That could be the Church of RVCC at. St. Croix Falls, it could be the Church of RVC at RVCC and uh, Grandy. So it, and, and it was supposed to. It was, it was an open letter to everybody, especially this one, because he's not trying to fix anything. He's trying to make it a, 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 a theological stance. He's, he's making it a theological explanation. So he's le- in the earliest transcripts, Ephesus is not in there. Um, it is a blank, so that and, and many people believe that it was supposed to be to to, to the believers. And it's just a wide open uh, uh, address to all believers. But most theologians still believe it was written to the Ephesians primarily, and there's and there's some good points of why they believe that, and they also believe that it was Paul. Okay, but just just to be because this is one of those kind of classes where you know we're we're talking about. You know, Ephesians. We're talking about the book. We're talking about the grand scope of it. It's it's worth noting that okay, there's some there's some discrepancies as far as to who wrote it exactly and to whom it was written. It does not change the theology therein. That that's the amazing part is that it doesn't matter who it was written to. You know, praise God that it was written to us. Two thousand years later, we can still take this letter and, and use the contents of it to uh, to understand God to understand the. The, the body of believers, but to understand who we are in Christ. But it has a lot of similarities to the Paul or the, the letter that Paul wrote to, to the Colossians. That's why a lot of them believe that it was Paul. 
because they know that the letter written to the Colossians was Paul. And so at that point, it looks and sounds almost in the same context as Ephesians. So they're like, Paul wrote the same thing. He probably wrote it within the same week or month uh, from prison. And it would have been about the time that he was in prison in Rome the first time. Not the he, he was released and then he did some more traveling. He came back and he died in Rome historically. Uh, the second time he was in prison there. So he wrote to the Colossians to meet a particular situation and a danger in the church of Colossae. Then, with his mind still working over the theme of the greatness and the glory of Christ, but moving on to consider the place of the church in the purpose of God, he wrote Ephesians, this time without the limitation of any polemic, polemical aims or uh, trying to fix something. He's, he wasn't just trying, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, it was an open letter, not you need to fix this, is what that basically says. I explained earlier that I'm, I'm pulling a lot of information from a website that where a guy pulls a lot of theologians' points about each verse. So it's, they have the verse, and then it just a whole stack of what Luther said, what, what uh, all these different guys said. So I, I'm reading some of those, and I'll, I'll tell you. I can tell you who it is, but it's, his name is Folks. But uh, not a, he's not a well-known one unless you're a real Bible geek. So, in looking at the great majestic themes of Ephesians, it's important to remember that Paul wrote this from prison. You know, it's and it is interesting, you know, to think that that he's writing about the freedom we have in Christ, the the power, the the glory, the 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 amazing gift that we have to be called into the kingdom of God, when in fact he's actually in prison because he's in the kingdom of God. But he did, you know, that doesn't skew him. He's not. He's not. Um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? He's not bitter. You know, he's not angry. He's not hurt that he's being treated this way. No, in the midst of being in prison, he is talking about the greatness of Christ. He's talking about the glory of God and the and the greatness of the body of Christ and the mission and the vision of the kingdom of God. All right. Any thoughts? before we start digging into specific verses, chapters and verses. So it's a great book. All right. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So... Like I said before, in a few uh, of the ancient manuscripts, there's a, there's a blank instead of the city. Um, the, the word Ephesus isn't there. Um, talked about be, it being a circular letter. It probably was, it may have been written, and it was written to, to believers in general, not necessarily to the, only the believers in Ephesus, which in, in, in some circles, when you start talking about exegesis and and exegesis is, you know, what does a scripture actually mean in the, in the form that it's in, not what do I think it means. It, it's what does it mean, and what is the proofs around it, what is the context, and all those sort of things. So when you're looking at this, somebody, someone might say, well, it's written only to the Ephesians. No, it's written to believers. It's written to all of us. And, uh, but that, you know, it, it, when you, like I say, when you get into a... Uh, a Christian geek fight, a theological geek fight, 
you know, these kind of things matter. Um, you know, if if you trust me, I'll just let's just say it's, he's talking to all of us. It's not just talking to the Ephesians on this one. Um, but it was meant, even if it was circular, it was meant to be passed on to different congregations in different cities. Verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So, one one theologian wrote that praise, what it's talking about when it says blessed, what blessed means is not like when we say it, uh, you know, bless you. I mean, and, and I've actually had, I've thought about this. When it says bless God, how can we bless God? Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't that an interesting thought? Because, I mean, I can see where he can bless us, but how in the world could I bless God? What that really means is praising with a worshiping love. It's, you know, I'm, to, to sort of bless God, when it says, when you see different scriptures that says bless God, what it means is is to worship with a loving uh, with a, or praise him with a worshiping love. And, and that makes sense. That, that fits into, into that place. Paul is worshiping God. He's starting the letter by saying, you know, God, you are amazing. You know, you're, you're fantastic. You're, you're beyond description. And he's worshiping him. And he's praising him because of he, God has blessed us. And now does he worshipfully praise us or worshipfully... Uh, or, or lovingly worshiping us? No, he's he has blessed us. So it's really two two different uses of the word. Um, but he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's significant. I mean, it, it's it's part of the greeting, but it's it's significant the way he says it. Is that he and and he goes on in the rest of Ephesians to explain what are those spiritual blessings, and that's the whole point of it is that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We, we can say that, and it can, say, it can sound trite. You know, oh, you know, bless you. Or God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings. But, but, exactly. If you're from the South, it, it means something completely different. <laughs> well, bless his heart. It means you're an idiot, but you're okay. You know, we love you anyway. Which sometimes I think God probably looks at us that way, but that's a whole other. Uh... <laughs> but what are those spiritual blessings? And we'll, we're going to get into that. We'll talk about what those, uh, what those spiritual blessings are. The us includes both Jews and Gentiles. When he was writing to the Ephesians in Ephesus. There was a large population of Jews, and there was a large population in the church. It wasn't just a Gentile church. Much, you know, the, the Galatian church was a, was a pri- primarily a Gentile church. Ephesus was not. Ephesus was a church made up of of Jews and Gentiles. And so, when he says to us, the Jews were used to being blessed. They were considered, you know, God's chosen people, and that He blessed them, and so on and so forth. And so when Paul says that it, to the to the half of the congregation that was Jewish, they got that they're used to being said, you're, you know, being told of them, you're blessed, or you're, you know, God blesses you. But the Gentiles weren't used to that, and in many ways, us as as uh, 21st century Christians, 
we're not used to that either. We, we, don't, we don't have that same mindset, much to our detriment. Because we, we then are, if our mindset isn't that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, what can we do? What, what, what's the, what can be the default mode? Look at everything the way the rest of the world looks at it. Which is? Well, that you have your own human resources to deal with the things you encounter. That situation is defined everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're, you only have what you have by natural means. Okay? Is there more? What, else, what, what other, what, what mindset can we have? Secular. Secular how? Just think on things of the world rather than think on things from a kingdom view. Mm-hmm. You know, think, don't not think of the big picture. Mm-hmm. Only think of it here and now. And and the Jews certainly had a kingdom mentality. Mm-hmm. Now it may have been you know just because of tradition and a lot of things it may have been t- you know slightly skewed, but they certainly had a kingdom mentality that that there was a that they were there for a purpose, that there that they they had a place in history that was that was special that was that was above the norm, and if we as as Gentiles and I, I only say that to. You know, because the Jews still have that, you know, that that idea, that that mindset, that hey, we're here on purpose, and God has a plan for us. It may not always be great, you know. We don't really, maybe, don't understand it, but we have a purpose, and they live their lives that way. They make decisions that way. They, I had a guy tell me one time where he was he had uh, he was talking to a a Jewish lawyer. And the, they were talking about um, this and that, and, and this friend of mine was a Christian, and he was trying to witness to this Jewish lawyer. And the Jewish lawyer, after hearing, listening to it for a while, said, you know what, stop. He says, what makes you think that your covenant is better than my covenant? And my friend goes, well, what do you mean? And he goes, he says, just look at the natural things. He goes, he goes I do, he says, I'm a lawyer and a tax accountant, for all kinds of different people. These are my Jewish accounts. And he showed he had three ring binders of, of the, the people that were uh, that were Jewish that he has these these accounts with. And he says, this guy right here owns businesses all over the eastern seaboard and he only comes back from the islands uh, twice a year to look over his accounts. He says, this guy right here owns owns this multi-level corporation, blah, 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 blah. This guy right here owns this, and, you know, and he has three homes, and you know, one of them's in the Hamptons, and this and that. He says, these are my Christian accounts. These guys are barely scratching by. They, they barely live. They, you know, he says, he goes, you're telling me your covenant is better than my covenant? I don't think so. And I think that's the problem, is, is as Christians, through history or whatever, whatever, is the reasoning behind it. We do not have the, the same mentality as the Jews do. We don't have a, a God has given us every spiritual blessing mentality. So we settle for second best. Or tenth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. We, 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 we think, it, you know, a, a, a Jew when faced with a situation, comes at it from, God's going to do this. God's going to pull through for me. God is going to supply all my needs because I have a covenant with him. 
Now, we know from Galatians, but what's different? He doesn't know the difference. He just he believes God's going to do it, and so he just puts his trust in God. He put he has faith. He he steps out and he and he believes it, um, and he just moves forward. Whereas Christians many times go, yeah, you know, I mean, I'll, you know, God blesses those who bless, you know, who who help themselves and you know whatever, or or they ha- we have a poverty mentality, and it's a different in covenant. So when when Paul is talking to uh, the the Ephesus church, and he's saying, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So it isn't because of our own ability. It is not because of our own doing that he's blessed us. He, it's, it's Christ. It's because of Christ. And that's another theme that you'll see, that we will see all the way through Ephesians, is that it's not in us, it's in Christ. It's what Christ has done on the cross. If he hadn't died on the cross, if it wasn't for his blood, none of this would be possible. But since he did, this is what we get. We have to change our our viewpoint. We have to change our mindset as Christians. We we have been told for, 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 uh, I want to say decades, it's longer than that. We've been told for 2,000 years it's it's the best the best thing is to be poor, you know. If you're if you're and, and I'm not I'm not saying everybody's got to be filthy rich. It's just a mindset. It's the way we, you know, or or that you know you're just not gonna make it. You know, you're just you know you're gonna struggle through, and by the grace of God, we'll get we'll get we'll make it. Or you know, in this situation, you know, I God'll God'll bless me whether it works out or it doesn't. No, it's gonna work out. It's going to work. It's going to happen. I have a covenant with God. He's blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Now, spiritual blessing. Is a spiritual blessing, what is this? Give me a definition or define for me or give me an example of a spiritual blessing. Because what I don't want to fall into is, is well, yeah, it says spiritual blessing, Pastor John, and you're talking about money, or you're talking about wealth, or you're talking about success. Okay, let's define spiritual blessing because I don't want to. I don't want to do that and, and just you know and, and and by default fall over the other. There's a reason I'm going this direction. Forgiveness is a spiritual blessing. Forgiveness is a spiritual blessing. Who forgives? God. God forgave us. That is a spiritual blessing. Absolutely, I. 100%. Don't. What? Give me another one. Wisdom. Wisdom. Okay. Good. I Excellent. Say love because we love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Peace. Peace. Yep. What would it be? What would be in Galatians? Patience, joy. I can't read them all. Galatians 5.22. Yeah. Yeah, all, all the fruits of the spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now we take those from a from a twenty-first uh, century Western European influenced mentality, and we think peace. That's peace. You know, 
I don't have any, no, there's no danger in my life right now, I'm okay. Which is a great spiritual blessing, isn't it? It's a fantastic spiritual blessing. Absolutely amazing. Kelly, tell me, from a Jewish mind frame, what peace is? Being financially secure, being having your whole life <clears throat> ordered in such a way that you don't have to worry about anything, basically. Mm -hmm. Um... Don't have to worry about sending your children to college or paying more each order, um, <clears throat> and being secure in your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's 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 a it's a one hundred percent whole thing of peace. It's not. It's a one hundred percent whole thing. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. The 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 Jewish mindset of peace isn't just okay. Nobody's attacking me right now. <laughs> I, I'm not having to fight right now. I have peace. Yeah. I didn't mean just the money part. I meant the whole. And and that's that's why I kept pushing, you know, getting getting to that point because it's not just a financial thing, yeah. mm -hmm. and it isn't. And it, but it also isn't just a. Okay, nobody's attacking me. Mm -hmm. One way to say this in kind of a, 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 a an overall phrase is nothing missing, nothing broken. Yeah. Shalom. Shalom. That's what shalom. Put peace is shalom. It means nothing is missing, nothing is broken. That is a Jewish mindset of peace. That, um, and, it, and so it, it works for everything. It, you know, our, my marriage. My marriage, when, when I have peace, when I have shalom, when I have a spiritual blessing in my, in my life, in my marriage, a shalom in my marriage means, hey, nothing is missing, nothing is broken. It, does that mean everything is every moment absolutely perfect no but it means that there's nothing broken between us that's that's shalom that's a jewish understanding of peace um when it comes to your workplace nothing missing nothing broken does that mean you don't ever have any struggles oh of course not we live in a real world but it means that every there's nothing missing I, everything i need what's there's another verse that this sounds a lot like he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Second Peter five, Second Peter three. What is that? Somebody find that for me. Yeah. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's that same idea. He's given us every spiritual blessing. God has provided for us as believers under this new covenant everything we need. The problem is we don't always appropriate it. We don't always expected because of our upbringing because of of our pre-christ lives we just assume life's going to stink and that god just may help us you know make may, may make it feel like i don't have a, you know somebody fighting against me all the time every once in a while when the reality is he wants us to be missing nothing nothing broken nothing nothing missing did we find jet no. second peter He's given us everything. I think it's 2 Peter 5 or something. But we can keep going. Love. Absolutely love. So he's given us love, every spiritual blessing. But that love means that the love encompasses across the board. Our, our relationships with him, obviously, which is the number one. But when our relationship is, no, is, is correct with him, then our relationship with one another is going to be whole also. And so... You know, we can expect to have a, a group of believers getting together 
who actually love each other. Second Peter one three. Second Peter one three. Read, please read that. Uh, this is King James. It says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Yes. Through the knowledge of him. That's important too in that verse. Is it isn't he just gave it to us. He gave it he gave us everything we need. This is the NIV, everything we need for life and godliness. He's given that to us through the knowledge of Christ Jesus. It's about who he is. Same thing that Paul is talking about in, in Ephesians. It's not just about him just giving us these things. It's about because of Christ. It's because of what Christ did that he gave us these things. So I'm spending tons of time on the third verse for a very good reason. We have to change our mindset. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Love, peace, joy. What is joy? Joy is not just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, joy is, is an in, inexpressible, un, unfathomable uh, uh, existence of happiness, joy. Now, does that mean everything goes perfectly? No, you're going to have struggles in your life. But in the midst of it, Paul's in prison and he's writing about the, 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 the giving, God giving us every spiritual blessing. Because he knows that the situation that he's right in right now is temporal. And the stories of uh, all through the Holocaust, they still studied. Absolutely. And they still had Shabbat, basically, they call it, you know, they still they still studied and worshiped God mm-hmm. all through the Holocaust in those, in those camps. Good, great example. There was a, a, a different theater, the Philippines. There was a missionary uh, who was. Uh, they were. She, she and her husband had moved from the U.S. They moved to the Philippines because God called them to go to the Philippines to be missionaries. They get to the Philippines within six months. The Japanese attack the Philippines, overrun it, and immediately see the Christians as a, as a threat because they had a radio in their camp. They were, they were seen as spies. They were separated. So they're six months from, from having been married. They're separated. She never saw her husband again. He was killed uh, in, in this situation. She spent the next three years or four years in solitary confinement in a prison in the Philippines as a spy. During that time, anybody would, would just would lose it. I mean, any, any rational human being, when you look at... You know, especially against getting angry against God. God, why did you call us here? Did you call us here? Did we miss it? You know, why would you do that? Why did Why did you let my husband die? Why did you? You know, all of these things that that could turn a person against God. And in the midst of it, her faith grew. That's joy. I mean, and and she talks in her diaries. It talks about an inexpressible joy with the greatness of God, the glory of God. In that, in, even in the midst of that situation, provision in the midst of that situation. She is in solitary confinement in a you know small cell with one window. She is at the absolute whim of the guards, and most of the time, all she's getting is a sloppy porridge soup that just tastes nasty. And one day, she had got, she, the sun would come in that that window up above. She would pull herself up and look outside just to get some sun. And one day she did that, and, and against the, the fence was a, a banana tree. And she saw these great big bunches of bananas. And 
when she was when, while she had pulled herself up and was looking out the window, she saw a hand come from behind the fence, grab a banana, and pull it back. And she she lowered herself down, and she, it was one of those days where she was she felt absolutely defeated. And she wrote in her diary. She said, "She goes. I sat there and said, Lord, could you give me just one banana, just one, you know, just just one banana? I just you know, I haven't eaten anything decent in in months. One banana." And then she goes, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry for not being grateful for what you have given me. Please forgive me for not being grateful. She no sooner than finished the sentence praying, and she hears clump, 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 clump. She hears the footprints of one of the jailers coming down the hallway. And then all, and, and when, that, when a jailer came down, either they were bringing your food or they were going to pull you out and torture you. There was only two reasons why they, why they did that where they even came down the hallways. All of a sudden, she hears the key in her lock, and she's like, oh, because it wasn't food time. It wasn't when they usually brought the meal. And she now, she so she moved to the back of the room, and she lowered her eyes, because you she can't look at the guard, so she's lowering her eyes. The door opens up. The guard looks at her, <clears throat> throws a bunch of bananas in her room, and slams the door and walks off a dozen or more bananas it was a full bunch of bananas and she lost it because she said you know she asked for one please and and saw that there could be no way that that could be answered and all and within seconds a whole bunch of bananas were, were laying in, on the floor of her cell is there provision even in the midst of absolute horror yes god is more than able we have to change our view of who God is and who we are in Him. Because right now we're missing. It's a big deal that Paul wrote that. Um, blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. Absolutely important that it's, that it's in Christ. So the us includes both Jews and Gentiles in the church of Ephesus and beyond. It, is, it was important to point out that these blessings are for both Jewish and Gentile believers. First century Jews had a strong sense of being blessed, called, and predestined. Paul shows that these things are now given to Christians, be they Jew or Gentile. They have their identity in, in God and Christ. They know exactly who they are, and it's kept them alive for four thousand mm-hmm. plus years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should have been wiped out yeah. way back when, but God had a purpose for them and a, and a plan for them as a, as a race and even as individuals. How much more the church now? When we look at those Jews and we see that we look at them and we, we in our mindset we see them bound up in the law and legalism and works. But what we don't understand is that when we see them praying and davening and stuff, they're not thinking about law or works or legalism. They do that because of a love or reverence for God, mm-hmm. not because of the law or, or legalism. They're bound up in it, but mm-hmm. that's not the reason they do it. They yep. do it for, for pure love of God. Yep, exactly. Any other thoughts before we move on? Well, they, with there's been a radio station that's been talking about the bombing in Boston and stuff, and there's they're just saying how um, 
Israel differs from us, where we get attacked by something like this. It's, it's oh my goodness, it's it's a big deal, and it goes on for weeks and months, and and but they say when Israel gets attacked like that, the very next day it, it's like nothing ever happened. They they just go on, they go on with their life. They they do you know they fight back. Where as we may not, we may be a little hesitant to fight back, but they fight back. But they also go move on with their lives. And mm-hmm. when the when the uh, Gaza was shooting missiles into Israel a, a number of months back um, <clears throat> through Krav, I've I've got friends that live in Israel now, and, and you know, so I'm Facebook friends and. So one of them wrote when that happened. Somebody wrote to them and says, "How are you guys doing? How are how are you? You know, how are you? How what? How are you doing through this emotionally?" Is one of them. And one of them wrote. It was it was profound. He says he says each one of us are fighting back by living our lives. Just live your life. Just you're moving forward. And so you know, do does stuff happen? Yes. You know, we we've got all kinds of people that are that are suffering in the church right now. You know, different different things. You know, whatever it may be, and the best thing that each of them can do, and each, that each of us can do, is get up in the morning, praise God, and move forward. That you know, you you don't. Um, what Satan wants us to do is stop. He wants us to just stop, throw in the towel, and give up. Why why even try? And that's what terrorists want want the want the, want the Jews to do, the Israelis. So it's it's a matter of. How do you fight back? We each can fight back by living our lives, by, by continuing to praise God. You know, how's, how's Paul writing back? You know, great and glorious, you know. Uh, you know, uh, where am I losing? Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I mean, he if anybody had a right to, to, to lick his wounds and, and give up, it would be Paul. And instead, he's praising God and moving forward. Amen. I think one thing, too, that we do, or maybe I do, is that, you know, I've linked poverty with humility. Mm-hmm. And because so much of the word is a humble and contrite spirit, I feel like, well, I'm not, not that I'm worthy of it, but I'm not supposed to, you know, maybe seek out after those things. And it wasn't until somebody told me that. God wasn't against me having good things. He was against good things having me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I changed it for me. I'm like, yeah, why can't I, you know, go first class, mm-hmm. first class Christian instead of like, oh, yeah, I'm humble and I don't have but this meat and, you know, we're only going to eat this and, you know, not really have all that God intended for us yeah. because of that attitude, mm-hmm. that attitude of, you know, I have to be, live like this in order to have a uh, heart that's not proud. Mm-hmm. But I can still have good things and not have pride. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> Alright, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Okay, here we go. Right into predestination. Might as well just dive in and... Uh, Take it on head. head. It says, "Be holy without defect." Uh, holy and without defect, yeah. mm-hmm. instead of blameless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Amen. All right. So, for just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So, here's some thoughts. You tell me your thoughts. Because I want, this is a discussion. It was his purpose before the world began that we would be holy and blameless before him. It's another way to say it. That before the world began, it was his purpose that we would be holy and blameless before him. Before God created anything, did he knew did he know that Adam was going to sin? Absolutely did. He had a plan of redemption before that even happened, so that was the cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. It is. I'm I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around it. I'm still trying to to grasp that. Because okay, if it was me, I wouldn't have done it. If, if I knew that what I was about to do was going to cause problems, I'd have chickened out and not done it. I wouldn't have created the earth. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have created man. But, praise God, he's not me. And I'm not him. Because, it was because he loved us. Even before he knew it, even before we existed, he loved us. And he knew. So that's kind of like, <clears throat> if you knew that your child was going to grow up to be a jerk, would you have him anyway? Would you have the child anyway? And now I know a lot of people who grew up to be jerks. Or if, he had, if he knew he was going to have a defect. Or if he knew he was going to have a defect. Yeah. Um, and we know people who knew ahead of time their children were going to have defects and they had children. They had that child. They, they brought that child to full term and, and, and had that child anyway. And, and the reason they did it was not a, a sense of duty or a, or, a, or a fear of reprisal from God. It's because they love that child. And they got to love them. The and, gift was in the loving of them. And you know, here's why. Here's why it may take us a really, really long time to get through Ephesus or Ephesians, is because every line is so full of just amazing thoughts and 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 word pictures and 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 deepness um, that he he could not help it after looking down through the through time and seeing you. He could not help. It, every bit of it was worth it that he created you anyway, that he created the world anyway. Um, knowing full well what was going to happen and having a plan anyway. You know, some people take this and they, they use it as, a, as an example of predestination that God chose you to love you. And that's great. That's a great thing as long as you're one of the chosen. But then they also take the step over into, well, he also chose you, chose some to be rejected. I, I can't go there. I think 
I think his his I believe his desire was that everybody be accepted, but individuals have their free will. Even go ahead. There's two aspects to that. There's the the trouble you get into when you think it's exclusive, like he only chose certain people, and I, I think that when he took a step back to before the whole world was created and, and thought of it then that God chose everybody and he wanted that 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 um, addresses the issue of whether it's exclusive or not. But uh, the the other part that comes into play is if if you um, take out the the part of the equation where God also gave us the the choice, and that that's the thing that gets um, gets people out of trouble when they when they say that God chose a certain thing and that that, that was automatically going to be what happened. Um, that, that it's based on understanding that, that we didn't have a part to play in whether we responded to what God wanted and what He chose for us. Amen. Well, if he didn't expect that there was still going to be wickedness after the flood, he wouldn't have made the promise, right? Because he, he That's a good he, point. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, the, the rainbow was to remind him so that he would never he again destroy again. The, the earth by but, flood. But, you know, he knew that even afterwards that man, man became wicked once. It's more likely it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Well, it happened. It happened within weeks, right? <laughs> you know, probably even good. You know, the, the first incidents that we know of is the after the after the wine. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, Ham, Cush, Cam, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Ham. Yeah, when Noah got drunk. Yeah, but you know, they're probably sin before that even. You know, you're right. It's 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 inherent in man. <clears throat> to sin and he loves us anyway he did it anyway it's just overwhelming sometimes when I when I think about his love for us and his his loving us anyway he would rather have a few who choose him than to have none to spend eternity with that's just amazing absolutely amazing couldn't you say also that God is God and he, in or says it, he, he chose some for destruction, but he can make a wastebasket if he wants and make a flower if he wants. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Judas of Iscariot, he knew before the world began that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him, so mm-hmm. you know, that's was his purpose. Was it his purpose or he just knew that he was going to because he saw the future? Yeah. That's the yeah. that's the you know, the that's the debate. Sure, where human free will intervened, mm-hmm. yeah. and 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 but but because he saw the end from the beginning, he just knew that that's what was going to happen. That that Judas was going to choose that, rather than saying he chose it for Judas to be that. You know, I think you were, you were talking one time about when we were talking about this and, and the, that Pharaoh. You know, the the verse that says that he, he created Pharaoh to be. Um, to do what he was, you know, to be that person that that caused the the the, the uh, um, miracles to have to happen, you know, the plagues and so on and so forth. He said a lot better than I. You could. Yeah. Uh, um, basically, the the point is made that 
people will say, well, God set Pharaoh up like he was, he made him to be this evil position. And and it said, it said the reason why, um, if you understand the first part of it, which we haven't touched on yet, but the, the reason why is so that, that uh, God could reveal his glory, that the, all those plagues revealed God's glory. But the, the way of looking at God creating Pharaoh is basically that Pharaoh didn't get what he really deserved. So he was wicked <laughs> beforehand. And God allowed him to elevate in position to get to that place. Basically, God allowed him um, favor in that respect when he didn't deserve that. And so, for for God to have made Pharaoh, basically, it's like when somebody talks about being a self-made man or something. Right? So, what got you to that place? And, and essentially, that's the, the connotation of where God allowed Pharaoh to elevate to that stature in position and authority so that all of the folly that was already in Pharaoh could be so dramatically revealed in, in his downfall. And the other thing, too, is, is does God create evil? God doesn't create evil. So, so every, every child that is born is a product of the sin that's already in the world. <clears throat> They're born with a sin nature. That wasn't God's plan. You know, so he did not create sin. He did not, you know, man's choices cause sin to come into the to come into existence. So God didn't choose for uh, Cain to kill Abel. But they, he chose to do it. And so that brought in the evil, which you know, if we look back at Galatians, wasn't even a sin until the law came. What? So what? You know, because why didn't God punish Cain? He could have, but Cain says, "You know, hey, he says, you know, this isn't fair. Now everybody's going to try to kill me." God says, "Well, I'll protect you." He didn't judge Cain and didn't didn't punish him. Why? Because there was no law. That was grace. I mean, he gave grace where there didn't need to be grace. All the way up to the to the up to the law was given, and then he actually had a basis to judge people. And praise God, we don't know. But we're getting slightly off. But, but it's the whole whole idea of where does where does where do people get? Where is it that that God created it for them? You know, people to be destroyed or that they chose, and, and it's because of the direction they were going to head anyway, because of their, their own choices. Would you say that, and this is what I'm kind of thinking, the C.S. Lewis kind of talks about it, that if there wasn't the original sin in the world, and that Adam and Eve couldn't discern, let's say, without sin entering the world, and we didn't have an opportunity to express our own free will, then we would be like tin soldiers, and then we just be programmed to be like, "I love you," and, and there so wouldn't be this, you know, deeper intimate meaning of what love really is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I first became a Christian, I'd be like, "I'm so pissed at Adam and the sin," and we just have this, you know, 
in my shallow thinking. But it had to happen to him. Mm -hmm. So he had to enter the world in order for us to experience perfect love. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we'd just be pre-programmed to, to love without whatever the opposite of that is. Do mm -hmm. you, you want to hear another verse that, that I don't understand? And, 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 and we gloss right over it all the time, and, and nobody ever asks the question. So, but I've asked the question, and I don't, I don't have the answer, and it's, it drives me nuts sometimes. When, when the snake was talking to, or was talking to Eve, he said to Eve, because Adam and Eve, you just said it. Adam and Eve did not know did not have the knowledge of good and evil until they sinned. Then they understood what the knowledge then they understood what the difference was between good and evil. Now, keep your feet firmly planted on the floor. When this when the serpent was talking about that, he says, he says, Oh God knows. Now let's get to the, let's get the exact verse. I don't want to Put words out that your eyes will be open and you'll be able to see good. You will be like God in understanding good and evil. Genesis 3. Verse 5. Genesis 3, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Does that verse in any way, shape, or form bother you? I don't want to put thoughts in people's head, but... It perplexed me for a while because at that moment, Eve was forced to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And based on the information she was given from by the serpent. Mm -hmm. Where did she get that discernment to, to be able to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this and then I'll know as much as God or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the serpent is crafty. Mm -hmm. He actually is approachless. If only from this apple, you'll know as much as God or to mm -hmm. that effect. Mm -hmm. And then there was a, you know, great sermons on if only you do this or if only you do that. It sounds so innocent at the time. Mm -hmm. Hey, if only eat from that tree. Yeah, it's not that big deal. Very long rabbit trail because... Oh, it's a huge rabbit trail. <laughs> because Adam and Eve, you know, when they were in the garden, they walked with God, they saw God, they talked with God. They also communed with the angels that were there. And even after the sin, they still communed with the angels. Mm -hmm. If you look through history... The further we get away from creation, the more we are scared of angels. In the beginning, we weren't scared. Abraham wasn't fearful of the angels, but Joshua was. The further we get away from creation, the more unlike God we become. So I think they were very close to him. I think they, I said you get in a big rabbit trail, but I think they... Had things grow, plant and grows, things like that. I think I believe that they were that close to God, to creation, and had that knowledge. And we don't have it because mm -hmm. we're so far away from creation. I think the verse is actually kind of tricky because it, um, 
in some respects it's true because God didn't know good and evil and basically it's kind of a bait and switch they know that it's desirable to be like God but that's not the aspect of being like God that they probably really wanted because God is able to tolerate knowing good and evil because he's absolutely holy and that's not necessarily something they have to draw from. Well, we don't. That's the problem. And, and, and so basically, they, they saw a, desire, a desirable aspect of wanting to be like God, but then he threw in this aspect of knowing good and evil. Mm-hmm. So in some respects, I mean, it's a true statement. The other thing that's interesting I just thought of, and I was wondering if this was where you were going with this, is that this is before the fall, mm-hmm. and the evil must have been a concept prior to it's part of it part of it is yes part of it is is if being like God is is part of being like God is is understanding good and evil which they apparently didn't have because they had never been exposed to evil how did God understand good and evil that's my problem it's not a problem because I know God is good you know, you see, so you have to take the rest of the Bible in context. But, I mean, so what I, where I'm going with that, what I meant, mean by that is, how did God then understand what good and evil was? Unless there was evil before. Or the concept, I mean, he is God. Obviously, he's God. He can, he, he, his, his understanding of things is so far beyond ours, we have, we will... We will spend eternity trying to figure, you know, trying to learning about God and understanding Him. But it just it goes to show you there's more to this. When, so when we take a verse and we just go, oh, well, this is what it means. We have no idea. We we're only scratching the surface. We're only understanding what He's allowing us to understand at any given moment. I think perhaps one one thing that might make it a little easier to wrap our minds around is that we we understand concepts like darkness because we understand light Mm -hmm. and so God in his goodness and his holiness and knowing how everything works together for him to be that could identify that you know if this wasn't part of who I am and my nature Mm -hmm. it wouldn't work Mm -hmm. and just how being holy in a universal aspect like that, how he knows how important every aspect of that that is to him being what he is. And that if you were to take away and try and mix the lack of of any of those attributes that comprise what God's holiness is, you would would see something that didn't fit with the rest of the the puzzle. And, And so maybe that's that's part of God's understanding of evil prior to, at least prior to sin in a human perspective. Like I, I guess defeated, we don't know. Like he defeated the evil, and that's what he wants us to do. Or even better, and, I, and, and I, I'm sitting here thinking that's the beauty of this whole discussion so far, is it takes us all the way back to he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Goodness is... The, the goodness of God, the spiritual blessing, the, 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 the goodness of God, the truth of God, the, the life of God, is the very attributes of God. 
sin or, or evil is the lack of the attributes of God. Yeah, if you think of sin as disobedience, yes. it's, it's going against what was the right way to do things. Yep. And so, so you know, you're right. You only understand darkness because it's the absence of light. A lie is the absence of truth. Uh, uh, obedience or disobedience, exactly, is the is the absence of obedience. It isn't. It isn't. Disobedience isn't an act of itself. It's the opposite of what you're the, the attribute of God. So now we take this all the way back, and here's what's here's what's cool about it is He's blessed us with every with every spiritual blessing. We can figure out. We can understand what every spiritual blessing is by understanding the knowledge of Christ, knowing who God is, knowing who Christ is. And that's what Paul is going to talk about in Ephesians is this is who Christ is. And this is who you are because of who Christ is. And because of what Christ did. And, and the next, when we actually get past verse 5, he's going to start talking about the blood. He's going to ta- start talking about the blood that was shed on the cross because that's why we get to have this stuff. It says in the Messiah he chose us. Right. Yes. So through Jesus, through looking through Christ, He chose us. Yes, and and that is one of the and, and we're we're not even close to it yet. It's it's down a ways in this. It's in verse uh, seven through ten when it's talking about the blood. Spurgeon says, "Let me just I'll I'll read it because it's worth it." Spurgeon said, "Jesus did not redeem us by His sinless life." Or his moral example, but only by his death in our place, by his blood. Observe, it is not redemption through his power. It's redemption through his blood. It is not redemption through his love. It's through his blood. So if if he had not died on the cross, because, because of what he did on the cross and because he shed his blood, everything is possible. And because everything is possible, we have the right, the absolute right, to every spiritual blessing. And what are those spiritual blessings? All of the attributes of God. Nothing missing, nothing nothing broken. Nothing broken, nothing missing. Love, joy, peace. So if we're not experiencing those things, there's something wrong. Now, it isn't about being selfish. It's not about. It's not about because um, in, in 21st century America we've seen the other side of this. Oh, then I get to have this, and I get I deserve this, and I deserve. No, we deserve nothing. But we can have faith that He's going to take um, the 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 things that we need for the kingdom and and use them. If we if we need to go somewhere for the kingdom, wherever it might be, and at the moment we don't have the means to do it, he'll bring the means. He'll do it. It's not even a it's not even a question. It should not be a question. Let's put it that way. It is a question many times because we're not we're not in that mindset that we have a better we have a better covenant. It sh- it is not a question. The problem is we live in this. 21st century American world where where we go well yeah but we don't have or we can't get or whatever 
No, absolutely not. We must change our, our mindset. And I believe a time is coming in our, in our world where we have to grasp this and do it quickly. Because we are coming down to the end. And in the end, the righteous will live by faith and faith alone. And what is that faith? The faith that this is true, that he's given us every spiritual blessing. We have to get this because if we don't, we are doomed. We don't stand a chance. And, and I, I don't want to sound you know, overly melodramatic. <laughs> but it's, it is, we're, we're here. It is now. Now is the time we're supposed to be making. We were supposed to do it 2,000 years ago. But like you say, the further we get away from that, the, the, the further we get from, okay, we don't get a choice anymore. You know, you could, you could, people could mess around with it, you know, a thousand years ago. But now we're coming to the end. There is such a small window of the need for absolute obedience because lives hang in the balance. And I suppose you could say that it, that happened every, every generation. But lives hang in the balance. Yeah, it's interesting. There's two examples you gave of the way you can misinterpret this as we can hard for ourselves and stuff. That, that and the example of doubting the provision, both of those are also situations of lacking an aspect of the nature of God. Because in a situation where you're greedy and hurting for yourself, you're lacking the generosity and the other's focus that are part of the nature of God. And then the, and in the situation where you're doubting, you're lacking that faith, that, that confidence that everything works. Yep. So it still boils down to and it's it expands that understanding of all spiritual blessings and, and really to every aspect of what God is like. So whenever there's a what if yeah but kind of excuse <laughs> yeah. it's always a situation of lacking some aspect of the nature of God. You were asking about uh, evil God knowing evil creation everything didn't the fall of the angels happen before the creation uh, we are not sure well it had to happen after because they were cast to, they were cast down to earth so the world yes. had to be created first we don't know it's not specific it's not specific exactly when it happened um, some people believe it was a time after Adam and Eve were created <clears throat> that it was a period of time afterwards well, wouldn't it have to have been if they were cast down to earth it all depends. It also said the earth was formless and void prior to the we understanding what earth was. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you, so you, if you look at that, there could have been a an expression <laughs> of the earth prior to formless and void that doesn't negate the six day creation. Because it didn't say that he created the earth. I mean, it says that he created the earth, and it became formless and void. Not that it, you know, okay. So now we're going to take a really big rabbit trail. <clears throat> the original Hebrew, the, the way the King James says it is that the earth was formless and void. The original Hebrew is the earth became formless and void. That's the 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 exact interpretation. Mm -hmm. God does not create anything formless and void. Everything he creates is good. Right. Some people, including Spurgeon, believe that there was a pre-world existence before 
Genesis between Genesis one one and Genesis one two. And that could have been eons. We don't know. It could have been the whole age of Middle Earth. I don't know. That was for Pastor Gates. But. but when it came to the, the creation, I believe it was a six-day literal creation from that point on, that God did this, then he did this. But I, believe, I, I actually lean fairly heavily towards there was something before that we don't understand and we don't have any record of. Well, there's some records of, but not clear enough to make it a doctrine. It is dangerous to take an ambiguity and draw upon that to open the door for all of your own personal exactly. desired theology. You want because to in my ambiguity, there is all kinds of <laughs> there's all kinds of fun stuff. But there was something that was unformed and void, and there was water there. Right. There was what? So there, in that moment, there was already because it, yeah, they said that his spirit hovered over the face of the deep. See, as long as we're going crazy, we having fun. What are we, are we getting? I was hoping we'd get the five. I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to get because I wraps. I've been waiting oh, to say something about five. <laughs> okay, well, I'll save. I'll save my thoughts till after. Since it's not about Ephesians, let's let's look at five. Great turn. Great turn. Great turn. All right. In or verse five. In love, he predestined us to it to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved so his plan was that we would be sons not servants that we would be sons not slaves Um, and for the only express reason that he loves us it's the only reason wasn't because we earned it. It wasn't because we deserved it. It's just because he decided. You know what? I love them. I want them to be my sons. The the idea of adoption here is incredibly important. Um, adoption in the Jewish culture was something irrevocable. They adopted someone into their family. It was um, they didn't have any <laughs> any choice after that of kicking him up. But it's also um, symbolizing a choice made knowing what they're getting themselves into when they adopt someone. And that, I think that, that part of it is important for understanding that God chose us. Um, but the adoption part of it, I think that I might be relating this to the wrong ministry, but I think it was Heidi Baker of Iris Ministries in Mozambique. She um, talked about the homes where they bring in kids. And initially when the kids come in, they're not quite sure they're welcome there. And so... They'll ask for food, and they'll whenever they need something, they make sure and make sure it's okay. And and they they started in the um, time of watching these kids develop in this kind of environment, and they'll have homes that have fifty kids in them and stuff like that that are just just huge. But the point where the kids make a turning point is when they can come into the kitchen, open the fridge, grab something out, and take it for themselves. And it's absolutely okay because they're part of the family. And I think that it's so important when you understand in the context of all the spiritual blessings and all of what this encompasses is that that's what God wants for us is to be feeling like we're family. Like we have freedom here to, like of course my parents would let me have that if I, if I ask. But I don't have to ask because, I mean, it's there. 
And so basically the idea that God's laid everything out for us, it's freely available for us, and that we have this place of, of adoption into his family where he chose us to, to say, and we've got access to all of that, and we can freely um, operate in that role. I think that's, that's really important. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, yeah. that's amazing. And we need to understand that we're heirs to the kingdom of God. And we're not just heirs, we're co-heirs. Yes. Which means we have equal right to the throne as Jesus. That's scary. <laughs> Doesn't that feel like theologically we're, we're dangling over the edge? Yeah. But I didn't say it first. He did. That's the amazing part. That's, I mean, it does. I mean, I, it makes me nervous to even say stuff like that. Asking for permission to grab something out of the fridge. I think he wants us to get, not that we disrespect Jesus, oh my gosh, you know, in Christ. It's the only, only because he was the one who did it. I still remember we had a, uh, we had a guest minister here, and I won't say who it was, but the, somebody in the congregation, the guest minister said, he says, the, the language where Jesus is talking about us being co-heirs with him, in the original uh, Greek in the original language, the Aramaic, what Paul is saying is, is we are absolutely on the same level as Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I still remember the next day the phone call I got from one of the church members. <laughs> Woo! That would take you back full circle to when the serpent is tempting Eve in the garden. Mm-hmm. And if she would not have accepted the actual eating of the apple... So she could be like God. Mm-hmm. We would never got to the place in the end where we were going to be like God. And they, the problem was they were like God. Right. They bought the lie that they weren't. They were already like God because they were created in His image, His 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 likeness and His image. And in, in everything that that the Adam and Eve were were like God. They didn't know it. They didn't get it. They didn't. They were not supposed to die either. <laughs> They knew they weren't. They were no shame, no guilt, no anything. Seems like it must have been pretty early. If they, <laughs> if they had lived long enough in the communion with God, I think that they would have known better. And, you know. You, you know. I don't know. It's yeah. just well, one of the other aspects. As far as what God is thinking, it's like, okay, humanity. We're going to do a horrible job at getting through. But with angels, it's like they don't have free will. Yeah. So let's just stick with them. That's so much easier to take care of. You don't have to mess with any of mess all the time. Sounds like you have to die for them because they don't have it together. But then you must love animals too because when you think about you know, how much more is he going to know when you get hurt than when a sparrow falls out of the sky. So, but, you know, what is that verse? It says, We have the mind of Christ. That blows my mind. Mm-hmm. We have we have the mind of is that the Hebrews? We have the mind of Christ. Oh, I, can't. I can find it real quick. But yeah, it, that that level of understanding that we we have the same rights as Christ does. We have the same uh, potential as Christ does. I think the, the metaphor of being the bride of Christ is helpful in that. I mean, if you think about what it's like when 
my son brings home his <laughs> bride or whatever that that yeah there's automatically a level of acceptance and yeah mm -hmm. you're part of the family now I mean that's the, ideally that, that's the way it would work but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> part of the problem with the, the Jewish people becoming you know they're obstinate and stubborn you know they're obstinate and stubborn and stubborn because they knew their position they knew their place and they let go of their head of who they were, mm -hmm. just being the sons you know, of Abraham and heirs of the promises, but they let it go to their head. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who has known the mind of the Lord that he, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Yeah, Ephesians is gonna just is gonna sit here and stretch our heads and our spirit. Uh, our spirits are already there. Our heads need to be stretched. And it, and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw stuff out and I'm gonna say things that just make you think, what the heck? Where is he going with this? Because we have to stretch. We have, and it's not because we're arrogant. Oh man, we know we're not. You know, as as individual beings without the blood of Christ, without without our our uh, uh, brother Jesus Christ, we'd be nothing. Where we are we, we would be nothing. We no longer are nothing. We are co heirs with Christ. We are joint rulers of the universe. When it talks about we're gonna get into that that he all authority has been placed under under him. And we are now co-heirs. We're seated with him in the heavenlies. When it says that it's seated with him, that means... Come here. <laughs> we're ruling over all of this together. You know? And that, that place doesn't get put there. He didn't do it by accident. He didn't do it there by mistake. Oh, shoot, I should have never let him write that. Why did he write that? No, it was on purpose. That, but we, we have to expand because we are so, as Christians, we are so bound up and we need to get loosened up. We need to get free of that. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Who wants to pray? Why doesn't one of the co-heirs pray? <laughs> Jolene? Yeah. Go for it. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the knowledge of your word tonight. May we just take this home and apply it to our lives. You are such an awesome God. Yes. We worship you. We praise you. You are omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, all-knowing. And we just love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.